Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, today is Palm Sunday and we're one week out from Easter. I just want to take a moment to invite you to be a part of Easter at Radiant Church. If you're local to the Clemson Seneca area, we hope you'll join us Easter Sunday at 10 a.m. We'll have a great experience for your kids where they're going to learn about Jesus and what his resurrection uh, is all about. And uh, we're going to make sure you get a good family photo too. Maybe we'll have a great place set up for Easter pictures uh, just for you and your family also that day. If you're already attending Radiant Church. Hey, listen, uh, right now, I want you to do three things this week. I want you to pray about Easter Sunday. Pray for the hearts and the lives of those who are going to be with us, uh, who might be far from God, that they'll say yes to Jesus. Two, bring somebody with you. Ask them to sit with you. Personal invites go a long way. And then three, I want you to participate. You know, people are drawn to Jesus. They're not drawn to the service or the songs or the message. So, you know, have the energy, get excited, celebrate. Jesus is alive. Let them see the uh, the joy that you have, right? Let them feel the excitement that you have for Easter Sunday. All right, let's get to our teaching today. Before we jump into Easter Sunday, we got to look at what happens on Saturday. Now, we've been in this teaching series since January, highlighting the life and ministry of Jesus. And we started with some of his miracles Then we looked at a few parables and we rounded that last leg of his journey with a walk through some of the events during the Passion Week. And we call it the Passion Week because you were Christ's passion. Well, you still are, I guess, right? You're still his passion. Listen to this from Romans. It's been our theme verse throughout this segment. Romans 5, uh, 8 says this, that but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We actually started with Palm Sunday five weeks ago, and we learned how important it is to worship God with all that you have. And then we jumped over to Monday, and we saw Jesus clear the temple. And the big takeaway was not to allow barriers to be erected in your life, which could keep people from experiencing God's presence. And then next we came to Tuesday, and Jesus shares on Tuesday some really important signs of the end of the world. Now, what do you need to look for, which is going to signal his return? He shares those signs, and one of the key signs is this, that believers will greatly suffer. Those times of testing will be difficult. But we're to have faith, which clings to Christ no matter what we endure. And we can be sure of this. God is in control. It might get crazy. It might get scary. But God has it all under control. And he's going to take care of everything that's happening here in this world according to his plan. Okay. Then last week, we listened in on some table topics. Only John's gospel records the actual dinner conversation from the Last Supper. So we did a little twist here. If Jesus were having dinner with us, what would would he say? We based these five statements and questions from the five topics he talks about during this last meal. And that brings us to where we are today. So there's not much said about 
Saturday. And so a lot of folks think between Friday and Sunday morning, there's not much going on. However, that's not entirely true. I want to jump back into Luke's gospel uh, for this teaching here today. Uh, listen to what begins shortly after Jesus' death on Friday afternoon. Luke 23, verse number 50. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. And he was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Joseph was a follower of Jesus, just like Nicodemus was, like Lazarus was, but he wasn't part of that inner circle, the 12 apostles that we know so well, okay? Verse 52, he went to Pilate, the governor, Roman governor of, the, of, of Judea, and he asked for Jesus' body, and then he he took the body down from the cross and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and he laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of the rock. And this was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, key, key phrase there, as the Sabbath was about to begin. So the Sabbath started at sundown on Friday evening, and it ended at sundown on Saturday evening. Now, now some of you are familiar with the term and, and what the day brought, but for those of you who are not, the Sabbath was a day that you ceased all labor, okay? God rested on the seventh day during creation, and he instituted by law this mandatory day of rest where you were supposed to rest in him. It didn't mean you couldn't do necessary actions actions, though later Jewish leadership would put a stop to any and all work done on the Sabbath, it meant that God was to be your focus. The entire day was set aside to worship and rest in Him. But since nothing of significance was to happen on that day, and as a result of the strict adherence that Jewish leadership imposed later on, it kind of became a day of, of just sort of doing nothing, all right? Almost like everything was suspended. You were waiting from Friday night to Saturday night to kind of resume your normal life. And it was Friday afternoon that Jesus died. And so Luke says that, you know, Joseph went to Pilate that day because it was the day of preparation. The Sabbath was coming. They're getting everything ready for that important day. And if Joseph didn't move now, he'd have to wait until Sunday. And of course, it's Sunday when Jesus rises from the dead and everything's going to change. Friday is a day of pain. Sunday is the day of promise. So what's on Saturday? Well, Saturday is the gap between the pain and the promise. Saturday was the day of waiting. Some of you right now, you're living your life in this gap. You've experienced pain. You've experienced something difficult in your life. You know that God's coming through. But for now, you're stuck in the middle in a place where nobody wants to be. That Jesus says in Revelation, he's the alpha and the omega. In other words, God is the beginning and the end. And I want you to know something here today. He's also the God of the middle. He's the God in the waiting. When you think nothing is going on, when you think you're stuck in a suspended state of perpetual waiting, it can be discouraging and debilitating and just outright cruel. But I'm here to tell you today, man, there's always a gap between the pain and the promise. Hold on, the promise is coming. Now, this doesn't mean uh, that, that we're going to enjoy it. That doesn't give me any pleasure to say this, but waiting is part of the spiritual journey. 
Now that's hard to do in our culture for sure, right? Like we download an app in seconds, we click on Amazon, and a couple of days later, the item that we ordered comes in. We don't wait for catalogs anymore. Like when I was a kid, man, the Sears catalog was lit. You wanted that. Late summer, early fall, Sears catalog comes. My brothers and I would look through the toy section, right? And circle all the toys we were interested in for Christmas. Like those days are gone, right? Waiting is the worst. And waiting on God, it doesn't feel any more spiritual or any more holy. If we're honest, it feels absolutely awful. And you tend to think in these waiting periods that nothing is happening. You know, all you can see is the tomb. All you can see is a body wrapped up inside. It's lifeless. Nothing is happening. But God is always at work in ways we can't see. There's a ton of theology surrounding what happened in this gap between the pain and the promise. We got into it a little bit in the theology crash course group that I'm leading this spring semester. I don't have time to get into it here today because while God's word gives us some clues as to what was occurring, we don't know with certainty what was actually happening. So uh, when you're not sure of something in scripture, you don't rush to make that uncertainty a fact. You leave that tension of possibility in place. It's a really important rule, okay? But here's the point I want to make. Jesus was doing something. Something was happening. He wasn't just taking a short, you know, two-day vacation. Like, in fact, Colossians tells us that this happened as a result of the pain on the cross. In Colossians 2, 14 and 15, He, meaning Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The spiritual rulers and authorities refers to the enemy, a real devil, real demons, real fallen angels. What did he disarm them from? Well, Jesus tells us himself when he visits John at the close of the first century. John's on the island that's a penal colony called Patmos, and he sees this vision where Jesus appears to him and says this. Look at Revelation 1.17. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. That's the Alpha and Omega, right? I'm the living one. I died. But look, I'm alive forever and ever. And look at this. I hold the keys of death and the grave. Now that word grave translates from Hades, which is Greek for place of the dead. So between the pain and the promise, he took firm control of even hell itself. And there's no authority now for the enemy anywhere. The enemy has been completely disarmed. Now those same words, first and last, they also appear in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel prays to the Lord and God hears his prayer. And on day number one, he begins to set into motion the answer to Daniel's prayer. But Daniel doesn't receive that answer until day 21. Why is that? Well, look at this, verse number 12. Then he, this is the angel, said, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. God hears your prayers, guys. I've come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him here with the, there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. 
Now, if you want to do a deep dive in what all of that means, I want to encourage you to go back and watch the teaching on Daniel chapter 10 that we did last year in 2022. But I, I, what I want today for, for you from this passage is to see spiritual conflict prevented the answer to Daniel's prayer from being immediately received. Daniel prays his prayer on day one. No answer. Day two, no answer. Day three, no answer. Day 15, no answer. I wonder what he was thinking as he's getting close to a month with no response. And unknown to him, while he's waiting for the answer to his prayer, the angel in charge of bringing the response is locked into a spiritual conflict, which you know, he can only overcome with the help of Michael. And you know what that tells me? That while Saturday reminds us we are waiting, Jesus is warring. Now, what's in the gap between the pain and the promise? Waiting and warring. And I want to give you two keys today about waiting and warring while you're in that gap between the pain and the promise for you to hold on to. Here's that first key. We wait patiently. Oh, yeah. Patiently. There's an old joke I heard years ago about a guy gets to heaven and he asks God, what's a million years like to you? And God says, a second. Okay, so God, like, what's a million dollars to you? Ah, it's a penny. So the guy straightens up, you know, and he looks God in the eyes and he says, well, could I have a penny? And God says, sure, just a second, okay? <laughs> Some of you guys got that. <laughs> Some of you, you, you might need to keep, keep waiting, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. The truth is that God exists outside of time itself and he sees the beginning and the end as it is, not as it will be, not as it was. It's all in front of him. And he knows you're going to be all right when you think you aren't. He's never in a hurry. And I know that bothers a good many of us, you know, especially here in America. One of my missionary friends told me a while back, they don't advertise the service time. They just advertise what day their service is, which kind of struck me as odd. I said, hey, <laughs> why is that? And he said, well, we start when everyone shows up and we stop when everybody leaves. You know, a lot of the world operates in a much different fashion than we do here in the States, right? And that includes God. He's not in a rush. He doesn't operate like we do. So who needs to change their perspective? Well, let me give you a hint here. It ain't God, all right? We need to be patient. The author of Hebrews gives some highlights in the story of Abraham. He's a guy whom God had promised an awful lot, but he had no son. In ancient history, you needed a son to carry on the family name and glory. If you don't have a son, you don't have an heir. Hebrews 6.15 says, Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. He finally receives his son, the promise, at a hundred years of age. Now, I know people who lived you know, longer in that time period, for sure. We read about that in Scripture. But a hundred is still pretty, pretty old. It's a hundred, right? You know, Abraham's not a spring chicken. He's past his prime, past the age of reproductive ability, really. When Isaac came, why would God do that? Well, I think it's because God is just as interested in answering your prayer as he is in developing you. And he often does both at the same time. While you're waiting, he's working. Listen to James' words on patiently waiting. Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulty and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. God is working something in you as you wait in this gap between the pain and the promise. 
when something is happening to you, know that God wants to do something in you. And that means when someone has wronged you, God's working on your character, right? If you fail a test, what happens? You retake it so you can receive what it is you're working towards. And so the real question we should ask ourselves in this period of waiting between, you know, the, 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 the gap of the, the pain and the promise is God, what are you trying to teach me? James keeps going, verse 4. Let it grow. Don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you'll be ready for anything strong in character, full and complete. One more. I want to go to Romans chapter 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, Paul says, for we know that they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient. There's that word again, right? And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. When you're made complete from the time you spent waning in this gap between the pain and the promise, your faith is full of hope. And so we wait, hopefully. Hebrews 10 says this, patient endurance is what you need now so that you'll continue to do God's will. And then you'll receive all that God has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we're not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction, the author says. We're the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We're not waiting just to wait. We're waiting in this gap because we have hope. We know what's on the other side. We know the promise is coming. So don't give up. Don't give up when things are tough in your marriage, when your relationship with your kids is rocky, when the dreams that God's planted within you seem to be stalling. Don't give up, man, when you're worn and tired and weary. Galatians 6, 9 tells us this. I love this verse. So let's not get tired of doing what's good at just the right time. We'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up, when is the right time? It's not a time decided by you or myself, right? It's God's time. God calls you to be faithful. He's the one who will be fruitful. You do what he's called you to do. You wait patiently. You let him bring the results. I wonder how many dreams have been crushed, not because God didn't answer prayers, but because people gave up. I run nowadays just, just to try to stay in shape. But I used to run competitively when I was younger. And I've always had admiration for the men and women who do marathons and triathlons, you know? I mean, that's intense training and physical rigor like you've never experienced. And, and for many, it's just a dream to finish, you know? And yet, as the race begins to wind down, it's not uncommon to see so many athletes collapse six feet, 10 feet, 100 feet from the finish line. They can't continue. Their bodies are worn. They're exhausted from the energy and the effort. And often they're carried off the course. But there are those rare breed of athletes who refuse to give up. And they fall just short of the line, but it's not over. They muster what little strength they have left. And in some cases, they literally crawl to the finish line because they refuse to give up. 
When you find yourself in the gap between the pain and the promise, you will without a doubt find yourself at some point on your hands and knees. You'll be tired. You'll be worn out. You'll be so weary. The promise will look so far from you. But don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keep crawling. Keep pushing. Why? Because the promise is coming. We wait patiently. We wait hopefully. While at the same time, we war consistently. What does it mean to engage in spiritual conflict? What well, means that we're praying each day. We're reading God's word each day. We're finding moments to worship and praise him each day. We're doing all of this consistently. And I can guarantee you this. Daniel didn't stop praying after day one. He prayed consistently. We know from an earlier account, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, he prayed at least three specific times each day. And so from day one to 21, he keeps praying. Prayer is, is not just communicating with God. Prayer is how you fight. It's how you confront a real enemy. Ephesians 6 is full of what's called the armor of God. The only weapon you have at your disposal to defeat the enemy is the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. So know it and use it. Know the Holy Spirit. Be on an intimate level with Him because this kind of fighting is not conventional. Look at 2 Corinthians here real quick. 2 Corinthians 10. We're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, but not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We live in this world, but we fight differently. We fight in the spirit. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Before you can win the battle in the natural, you gotta win the battle in the spiritual. The enemy will have you believe that your kids are gone for good. They're never going to come back to God's kingdom. He'll convince you your marriage is brittle. It'll never be made whole and right again. He'll tell you you screwed up and there's no one else who's going to take a chance on you. You're too far gone, even for God's forgiveness. Paul says in our spiritual warfare, we destroy those false arguments. We tear down these strongholds and we do it by waging war consistently. And we do it when we war confidently. Where's our confidence come from? It comes from Jesus. In the gap between the pain and the promise, God was at work. He was setting Jesus up for this finest hour. On a Friday, darkness celebrated. Hope seemed crushed. All felt lost. On Saturday, the dream, which turned into a nightmare, began to become all too real for those who follow Christ. They had to have wondered, like, what do we do next? Where, where do we go? What's going to happen? But Sunday was coming. And the promise was on the way. Philippians 2, uh, verse number 8. He humbled himself. This is Jesus here. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. If God could take Jesus through the pain, through the gap, this period of waiting, and give him the promise, can't he do the same for you? 
Here's what I want to do for you today. I want to pray for you that you'll experience the fullness of God's power and mercy. I want to pray that God encourages you and fills you with hope. Don't worry. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. The pain is over. The waiting is difficult to endure. And we endure it longer than we like to sometimes. But hey, can I tell you, the promise is coming. God, thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every person who feels like, man, this is the end. They're over. They're done. They're worn out. They're tired. They're ready to give up. This period of waiting, this gap between the pain and the promise is just kind of the last straw for them. Lord, I pray for encouragement. I pray, God, that they keep going. I pray, God, that stay faithful. God, let you be fruitful. Lord, I pray that you begin to heal and begin to work in their their heart and their lives in this period of waiting. Father, may you remind them that it's in this period that you're building up character, you're building up strength, you're building up hope. Lord, as they fight and wage war spiritually, God, give them the victory, I pray, over all the things the enemy's launching their way. May they know and be reminded the promise is coming. It's coming. It's on the horizon. Help us, God, to grow, to be better, to become more like you in this gap between the pain and the promise. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.